So the question was, why, why was it important to have a list of the canonical books of the Old and of the New Testament? And there are three answers. The first one is that in this time there were a lot of false teachers. The second thing is there were additional writings in the second and in the third centuries. So that means suddenly there were other books and these books said we are also inspired by God and we also belong to the Bible. So uh, in the big church places everybody knows or knew which book uh, books belong to the Bible and which books not. But in the area outside of the big church areas, the people don't know this. And so it was important to give them a list. And the third thing is the persecution. So we go to the first point of the false teachers. You can read in the, in the letter of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy, no, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Or oh, you can go to 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. You see, there are the false teachers among the believers. He, he spoke about false teachers in the churches who privily shall bring indemnable heresies, even denning the Lord that bought them and bring up themselves swift destruction. Or the other one is in the book of Acts. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So that was the time when the wrong teachers, the false teachers came. And in the time of the third and of the fourth century, there were hundreds of them. So it was absolutely necessary to have a list which books belong to the Bible and which books not, so that everybody get this information. So this list was not the basis of the canon. The canon was there earlier, but in that time they need a list uh, for helping against the wrong teaching. The first one, or not the first one, but one of the famous ones, was in the middle of the second century, and that was Marcion. Marcion had his own canon. He accepted only the Gospel of Luke, not the other three Gospels of the New Testament. He, only, he accepted only uh, some epistles of Paul. All the other books he didn't accept and so they are not 
in his personal canon. You see Marcion's uh, canon, Luke, Galatians, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Thessalonians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon's, Philippians. Titus is missing, Timothy is missing, or the epistle of Peter, or the epistle of John, the Revelation, uh, the epistle of Jude, uh, the epistle of James. James, they are all missing. So you see, that was the trick of the false teachers because they knew Oh, the believers, they don't know which books are belonging to the Bible and which books not, because there was no list. And that was one of the reasons why um, um, and they um, 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 set together and to make a list of the books which are the canon of the Bible. So again, the list is not the basis. The basis were the books which the Christian used in the time before They only put these books on a paper and they sent this list to the other churches or assemblies and so they have the list and they have the knowledge. The other thing uh, is the additional writings, some produced by heretical groups, some were produced by church leaders, false teachers among you are the words of the, apostle, of, of, of the Apostle Paul. And some produced by Gnostics. So that was the situation in that time that you have additional books from three sources. And I think you can understand that the normal believer has no chance to differ what book is, is, is inspired by God and, 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 and what book not or which book not. So it was necessary to have a list like this. And you see they have the pseudepigraphs or the pseudepigraphs, Gospel of Thomas. That one was not written by the disciple Thomas. It was written by somebody 250 years later. But he gave himself and his, his, his book the name Gospel of Thomas. Or Gospel of James, Epistle of Barnabas. We know Barnabas uh, from the journey of, of the Apostle Paul. Uh, you, you can find this name in Acts. Yeah, and then 200 or 300 years later, somebody said, oh, I can write a book, but who will read it? Oh, it's very easy. I will give this book a very interesting name, the Epistle of Barnabas. And then everybody is thinking, Oh, that is an old epistle of Barnabas. Somebody discovered it and now he published it. That was the idea what was behind uh, the scene. Or oh, the apocalypse of Peter, of Paul, and so on and so on. And the third thing is the persecution. So the problem was in that time that uh, the, the Roman um, um, kings and soldiers, um, 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 they don't want to kill um, the believers only, but they also want to disturb all the biblical books. And, and, and so the, um, it was very important for the believers to know which books are inspired, so which books are in the canon of the Bible and which books not. 
because nobody wanted to die for a normal book. Yes, they would die for a biblical book because it would be much more important for them to keep a biblical book than to give it to the Romans. So they, perhaps we can say they want to die for it because they want to persecute uh, this book. But, but for them it was very important which books are from the Bible or not. So it was under Diocletian's um, around about 300 AD and um, 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 his persecution included the, the confiscation and destroying of New Testament books. This persecution motivated the church to set through and settle on which books were really holy scriptures, holy scripture, and which books were worth suffering for. So it was very important to have this list. And that was the reason why on the synodes or on the uh, consiles um, they, they, they made lists. Okay, now we can ask, uh, we'll do it very short, um, 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 how were these books recognized? So, so what um, um, for, for, for points do we have that we can understand is it a book of the Bible or not? And, and, and so they had a list where they can check it. And, and one of the most important thing was, was the book written by a prophet of God. So, so that makes it clear that an unbeliever is not able to write an inspired book of the Bible. Because you must be a prophet of God. That didn't mean uh, that only the prophets of the Old Testament were able to write a book. Prophet is somebody who is speaking the words of another person. So Aaron was the prophet of Moses. Because he spoke the words of Moses to the people. So the prophets who wrote um, 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 books of the Bible, they wrote down the words of God. So the remarkable sign of a prophet is that he is somebody who is standing before God and that he heard the word of God and that he wrote it in a book or that he spoke it to the people. So that is the character of a prophet. And if you um, 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 put this to the biblical books, so it is clear that only a believer, so that only somebody who believes in God, or who believed in God, um, is able to write a book of the Bible. I don't say, I I don't say that everybody who believed in God wrote a book of the Bible. But that is the basis that God can use somebody to write a book of a Bible. And then it's clear that all the Gnostic or Agnostic or Atheistic books, they never belong to the Bible. Does it come with the power of God? So that means 
if you read a book of the Bible, you have to find the power of God in this book. So that means if you read this book, the book will set you in the light of God. And God will show you something of your life. And you understand that God is speaking to you. So I think that is uh, um, um, the most important sign of the books of the Old Testament and of the books of the New Testament. That every book, that, that in every book you find the power of God. And if somebody asks me for an evidence that the Bible is the word of God, of course we can look for the prophecy in the Bible and we can look for other things. But a very important thing is that these books put you in the light of God and that God show you something about your life so that you were set in the light of God. And that is the meaning that you find the power of God in the books of the Bible. And it has to tell you the truth about God and not some, some stories or some, some fabulas or something like this, but it must be the truth of God. And the fourth thing is, we had this a uh, little earlier, you have to find Jesus Christ in the books. Yes, you have to find Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and you have to find Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And the last thing is, that the books were accepted by the people of God. So again, God worked not only in the writers of the Bible, he also worked in the receivers of the biblical books. So, so the receivers understood, this is a book of the Bible, and we have to store it, and we have to copy it, and we have to send it to the neighbor church and so on. So there you can see the work of God and you can see some points um, um, so that the believers in, 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 in the old time, they could understand that this book must be a book from God. And now we came for a couple of minutes uh, to the Epigraphia and Psydepigraphs. So at first I want to say something about the epigraphs. Um, the word epigrapha comes from the Greek and means hidden or secret. So they, that means nobody knows who wrote these books. The only thing we know is they were written in, in, in North Egypt in the area of Alexandria. So all of these books were written in Greek and not in Hebrew. So that makes them totally different than the canon of the, than the Jewish canon of the Old Testament because their books are all written in Hebrew except some parts which are written in Aramaic language. But the apocryphs are all written in Greek. And nobody knows 
where they came from. Suddenly, they were there. And that is the meaning of hidden or secret. It is secret um, because of the source of these books. Probably the name goes back to Jerome. Jerome was the first one who translated the Bible in the time of uh, Pope Damasius into the Latin language. And that is the famous Vulgata because that was the Latin of the normal people. Of the normal people in the beginning of the medieval age. There a lot of people were able to speak and to understand Latin language. And so it was um, the language for the people. So it was the Vulgata. Vulga means people, for the people. So that is the famous uh, Vulgata. Uh, Pope Damasius told him to translate the apocryphs also. He did it, but he didn't add them directly to the Bible. He put them uh, in a special part of the Bible and he put uh, the title above them, Epigraphs, to show that he had to translate them, but that he didn't believe in them and that he didn't believe that they are words of God. And I will give you later some examples and you understand that that man is, 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 is true in his opinion. The other one are the pseudepigraphs, and they are not so interesting um, because no church leader in every time accepted them as books uh, from the Bible, or as books from God. Yes, you find this only in the newspapers at the end of a year. And then they came with a gospel of Thomas or with some other gospels and they wanted to show that everything in the Bible is wrong. Yes, but uh, you can see they have nothing to do with the Bible. Also refer to some non-canonical non books. In this case, these are works purposely written in the name of a known personality but much later, like the, Thomas, the Gospel of Thomas, written a couple of hundred years later. Hence the term pseudepigraphs, Greeks, pseudes, unreal, untrue, and Greek epigraph, name. So that is the meaning, untrue name of a book, or um, 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 unreal name of a book, because that is not the real name of the writer. Pseudepigraphs are falsely attributed texts whose claimed author is not the true author or a work whose real author attributed it to a figure of the past. So I think with this everything is clear what is the meaning of the pseudepigraphs. And again, nobody counted them to the canon of the old or of the New Testament, so we can forget them. So the epigrapher of the Old Testament are much more interesting. And you see there is a list which you find in some of the uh, Catholic Bibles today. So, so they use Esdras, that is the editing part of the books of Ezra, Nehemiah and Second Chronicles, 
chapter 35 and chapter 36. So the writer wants to explain uh, different passages uh, in these mentioned books. Then you have the first and second Maccabees, and these are historical books. Uh, at first, um, um, the history until 100 BC, and then the history of Judas, the Maccabees. Uh, it is in this time or a little later. Then you have two novellas, Tobit and Judith. Judith is full of historical mistakes. I will give you one later. Then you have the additions of Esther. So that is, is the part where you find the name of God. Yes, because you don't find the name of God in the book of Esther. Somebody think, okay, then I have to, to write an additional book. And there you will find the name of God and then everything is clear. Um, Esther is a book of the Bible. So it's a supplement to intended to, 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 intended to correct the absence of the name of God in the book of Esther. Then you have the song, the song of the three young men. Uh, that is an additional book of Daniel, um, of the three men who were in the furnace and, 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 and they sang a song. I don't know because I don't find this in my Bible, but this man knows everything and so he wrote it down. Oh, you have the wisdom of Solomon and you have the book Ben Zirach. Uh, that is something like the Proverbs. It is as thick. And then you have Baruch, a friend of Jeremiah. In his own words, by Baruch, a friend of Jeremiah. So that is the title of this book. It is absolutely clear that it was not written in the time of Jeremiah, that it was written four, five, six hundred years later. Yes, but this, it was written in, in his name. The, the, that is the content of this book. Now we can read something of 2 Maccabees, and then you understand why they wrote this book. It, 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 it is typical for our time, yes, for the, for the pupils who can read and write only SMS or short messages or some, some, some words on, on Facebook or Twitter. They, they were unable to read long texts. Yes, and we have the same in ancient time. And that was the reason why they wrote the book of Maccabees, all this which has been set forth in five volumes. Five of these, we shall attempt to condense into a single book. That's it. So that is the only reason why somebody wrote the first and the second book of Maccabees. Because he wanted to um, um, condense five big volumes in one small book. I told you, it's the same as the, the, the time today. Yeah, the floods are, and so on. I don't want to read this all, um, but that is the, the, the text which you can read here. So, so the only idea was to put everything together. That's it. So Pope Pius IV, then, in 1545, so 1450 years 
after the canon of the Old and New Testament was fixed, he had the idea to add some more books to the Bible. Why did he have this, had this idea? Because it was in the time of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther translated 1522, the New Testament, in the German language. In a German language which nearly everybody in Germany could understand. Not everything, but around about 80% of this New Testament Bible. That was very interesting because then they didn't find some of the teaching of the Catholic Church. So they don't find passages where you can get forgiveness when you pay some money. Yes, in that time it was possible in Germany to buy a letter. For this letter you have to pay a lot of money. And if you bought this letter with your money, then you can read on this letter all your sins are forgiven. That was necessary for the church because they have to rebuild the roof of a big church in Rome. And, and, and so they needed money and they also needed money um, for the crusaders to um, travel to Jerusalem and to fight there against uh, uh, the Muslimic believers. So this was the teaching in that time and then the German people bought the German Bible and they didn't find this teaching. And the same was the worship of the dead. The New Testament told us that it is impossible to pray for somebody who is dead. Because if somebody wants to come to God, he can do this only when he is living. If somebody died, it is too late. So this, this decision you can only uh, take when you are living. After this, it is too late. And if you are dead, nobody can pray for you. It would not help. But the teaching of the church was that it is possible to pray, to worship to or of the dead. And then the Germans didn't find this in their German Bible. And this message came to Rome. Oh Pope, the Germans have a big problem. They don't find uh, the letter of forgiveness and they don't find praying of the um, worship of the dead. And then the Pope said, okay, we make a conceal. And then there was a concil in 1545, so 23 years later, after the first German printed New Testament uh, was produced. There he had some members of this council and somebody told him, oh, Pope Pius, be cool, there are some um, um, epigraph books. And there you find the worship of the death. And then the Pope said, okay, everything is clear. From today on, they belong to the canon of the Holy Scripture. And that is the reason why from that time, 
from 1545. Some, not all, of the apocryphal book, books are now in the Bible. Because some of the books, they couldn't add to the Bible. For example, the book Second Esradas. It was rejected because it contains warnings against the worship of dead. Okay, so there are on about 30 books, and they only choose the books who said, okay, it is allowed to worship the dead, or the, or, and the books who didn't say anything about this topic, but the books who are warning, they didn't put into the canon of the Bible. And so that is the reason why only some of these books were added. Martin Luther wrote, I think in the same or one year later, these books that are not equal to the scriptures, yet useful and easy to read. I don't accept the last part of this verse, but I accept the first part of this verse. They are not the holy scripture. That was very short, the story of the epigraphs. So there are several hundred, no, no, um, the prof, the, the, uh, oh, it's a terrible word in English. In German, it's so easy. Apokryphen. You, 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 you read it as you write it. So the apocryphal books should not be part of the canon because there are several, several hundred prophecies in the Bible. In the entire apocryphal books, there's only one, which is also not very precise. So that is a very, very weak prophecy where we don't know exactly on which situation, uh, to which situation it belongs. So, so you can forget this prophecy. The textual scope of the Apocrypha corresponds to about 18% of the Old Testament. So all the, uh, the pages of the apocryphal books is around about a fifth of the whole Old Testament. But there you never find. So God is saying, or the Lord is speaking, or Yahweh is saying, or, or, or similar expressions. And you don't have any prophecy in these books. So you can see the total difference to the, to the biblical books. They are not accepted in the New Testament as authoritative because there is no direct citation. They never make the claims, thus says the Lord, or, or in similar expressions. They are not, or they were never, part of the Hebrew Bible. And the Jews never viewed the books as authoritative or canonical, and they wrote them. False doctrines and practices at variance with inspired scripture. So um, um, 
in, in, in Yamnia, it was also a, a synod, but 90 AD, you, you see the difference of around about uh, 1,450 years. They did not recognize the epigraph, but the Old Testament canon was confirmed without epigraphs. But 1,450 years, a church leader thought, I can put them on the same level because they are necessary for my teaching. I think that is the work of Satan and that is not the work of God. There are, but, but that is what we read in Peter, false teachers among us. That is the thing. Never quoted by the Lord Jesus, uh, never quoted by Philo, and never quoted by Josephus. These are historical writers. Okay, now I come to, uh, to some other facts. Some epigrapha contain clear historical false statements. One example, for example, Nebuchadnezzar is described as the king of the Assyrians. If you read your Bible, you find Nebuchadnezzar as the king of the Babylonians. And he has nothing to do with Nineveh. Because Nineveh was not a town of the Babylonians. Nineveh was a big town of the Assyrians. But you find this in Judith 1. So you have absolute wrong historical information in this book. And this shows you that couldn't be an inspired book by God. Because if a book is inspired by God, that means there is no mistake in it. No scientific, no historical, nothing, no mistake. Or you find fables or fairy tales. In Babel there was a big dragon. Daniel gives him tear, tallow and hair. Melted everything together. Formed cakes from it and threw them into the dragon's mouth. The dragon ate them and bursted. You can read this in one of the epigraph books. Oh, another one. Tobias can expel an evil demon by smoking some fishy heart and liver. These are examples for what you find in the epigraph books. So I think it is absolutely clear that this is not the word of God. But that is what Paul wrote to Titus about Jewish fables and that this is characteristics for the last days. The people will turn their ears away from the, two, from the truth and turn to the fables. And that is the same today. If you somebody say, I am believing in the Bible, they will, they will answer, in that old book? And in the same time, they, they are reading the horoscope. And the horoscope is much older than the Bible. But that's it. They don't want to believe in the word of the truth. But they want to believe on fables and other things. That is the time in, in which we are living. And that was the time uh, in the time of Luther. And that was also the time of the New Testament. And that was the time of the Old Testament. Nothing changed. 
and the heart of, 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 of the humans is every time the same. You find this in the Old and in the New Testament. So at the end we find the work of God. God took care that all the books of the Bible were collected. Yes, you find this in Deuteronomy. Perhaps I read this verse because this verse is very interesting. Deuteronomy 30. Just this verse. Verse 14. And what is it in verse 24, I think? No, no, put a mistake on it. Wait a second. Uh, okay, that is Deuteronomy 31. And the verse is verse 24. And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished that Moses commanded the Levites which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the sight of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. So again, it is chapter 31, I did a mistake on this photo. And, it, and this is a very important verse because God didn't tell Moses um, to write this book only, but also to take care that it was stored by the Ark of the Covenant. So God took care that all the books of the Bible were collected. He did this by the first books of Moses. And we can think that God gave the same rule by all the other books which were written in the Old and in the New Testament. So God works in the writers, but also in the receivers. God not only controlled the writers as they wrote, but every word, even each dots, were inspired by God. And now I need 20 minutes or 30 minutes to say something about this last point, the inspiration of Scripture. So the first point was the canon of Scripture. So how we know that these 66 books are the books of the Bible? And the answer is very simple because God took care of them. I know that is not a scientific answer that everybody wants to hear, but that is the only true answer. The only true answer is it is the word of God, and God took care of it. He took care of it when the people wanted to destroy the word of God. He took care of his word in every time. And I think in every year, the Bible was the most handwritten or printed book. Every time. Because God took care of it. And now we have the other question, the inspiration of Scripture. 
We have three very important verses. Second Timothy 3, every scripture is inspired by God. And now you can see how, how perfect the writing of the word of God is. We would write, this scripture is inspired by God. But the Apostle Paul couldn't write the scripture. Because after the letters uh, to Timothy, some other books of the Bible were written. So this was not the last book of the Bible. It was a very late epistle, but we have some five or six other books which were written later. So he couldn't write the scripture, because if he wrote the scripture, that means the scripture which we have up to this date. And all the other books didn't belong then to the Bible. So he said every scripture, every book of the Old and of the New Testament and also the six books which are following are inspired by God. That is the meaning. And there you can see how perfect uh, the New Testament, also the Old Testament is written and that every word, not only the sentence or the content, but every word is inspired by the power of God. No prophecy of scripture ever comes about the prophet's own imagination. For no prophecy was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That is the meaning of the prophets. The writers stood before God and the Holy Spirit put the word of God in their hearts and then they wrote it down. The last um, passage from 1 Corinthians 2nd, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So, so the first part means that every word in the Bible is from God. And you can read in other uh, passages in, in the Gospels in Matthew that God will take care um, on every dot. So the smallest letter is from God. Not in the German or English translation. Of course not. Every translation is an interpretation. Everybody who translated somebody, or oh, he has to do this fantastic job at school, he understands it is an interpretation. So I would never say that a translation is inspired by God. Also the copies are not inspired by God. They are very good. And more than 99.9% uh, is, is equal um, um, among them. 
but they are not inspired by God. Inspired by God are only the original text. But then every word or every letter or every dot. So, how does it work? First, the Bible is a human book. That sounds a little seldom, but the meaning is that God uh, didn't uh, um, um, let the book fall from heaven um, on earth and somebody found it and then he had the Bible. Well, that is the matter by the Quran. Yes, there is no second witness. There is only one person who got the Quran and that's it. That is not the way of the Bible. Because in the Bible you find in the Old and the New Testament that every, for everything you need the witness of two or three people. And so that is the reason why at every time when a biblical book was written, there are witnesses of this. And may, mostly two or three books are written in the same time. That is an important fact. So God used more than 40 writers, and not only one, but humans. So the authors used their own writings method, style of writing and literary form of writing. That is the reason why you don't find the same vocabularies in the, in the for example, in the epistle of Peter and the epistle of Paul. And sometimes the words differ in the epistles of Paul. But um, the, um, 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 God used their um, um, personal um, um, characters. Authors wrote to an audience in a specific historical context for a special purpose. That is very important. Because that is the reason if you live in a time of trouble and you read the Bible, you will find something for your heart, which, 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 which will help you. And if you read the Bible uh, in a time of, of, of happiness, you will also find a special word in the Bible. So you will find words for every living situation. And that is the reason why the um, 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 specific um, um, context of the writers um, or the circumstances you will find also in the Bible. Uh, so that is point three. The Bible is influenced by the circumstances of life in which the author, I will say, lived, lived when he wrote this book. The last point, I said something to this. But then we have the second side of the, of the coin. The Bible is a divine book. So it's like a coin. We have two signs, sides. The, the, the one is um, the, um, 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 the human, and, and the other one is uh, divine. Um, so that the Bible is from God. The Bible is inerrant. So that means uh, that every... every Word in the Bible is free from error. So all the texts are free from error in all their contents, including doctrinal, historical, scientific, geographical, and other branches of knowledge. 
So if you open the Bible and, and the book of the Bible is inspired by God, you can be absolutely sure that there is no mistake in the Bible. And I know that there are a lot of scientific um, um, words in the Bible and some very, very interesting scientific aspects. They are all um, true. Yes, I didn't know any expression in the Bible which is wrong, either in a scientific <clears throat> part of the Bible or in a historical part of the Bible. Everything I know in the Bible is absolutely true. And the Bible is authoritative. And the Bible is, has a unity. So, so there are 66 books, but it has one message. And the message is not a teaching. The message of the Bible is a person. And the person is the Son of God. That is Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament speaks in a prophetical way about Jesus Christ. And the New Testament shows us the life of Jesus Christ when he was here on this earth and when he died on this earth. And then I, I said this in the beginning, and then in, in, the, in the epistle we find the teaching uh, um, 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 of the church. And in Revelation we have a view of the future things. But everywhere you have to do something with a person, and the person is the Son of God. And to understand the Bible, you need the Holy Spirit. So for, for, for a man, a woman, without the Holy Spirit, so for an unbeliever, it is, it is impossible to understand um, um, uh, the Bible. Because you need the Holy Spirit who will guide you in, in understanding the Bible. So I will give you two examples. In Matthew 1 you read, this all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and be a son and they, call, and they will call him Emmanuel. The citation you find in Isaiah. So, but it is important, spoken by the Lord through the prophet. You don't read spoken by the prophet, but spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So the Old Testament passage of Isaiah was spoken by the Lord. So that is divine ultimate source. That is the source of scripture. And then the Old Testament passage of Isaiah was spoken through the prophet. So the prophet was the tool how the word of God was written down. I'll give you a better example and that you find in Hebrew because you, the, the, there you have one citation of the Old Testament three times. So in Hebrew, three, verse seven, verse 15, 
and Hebrews 4, verse 7, you have the same quotation, but it never starts with the same words. In the first passage, in verse 7, you read, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So you find the source of the word of God. The source is God or the Holy Spirit who put the word in the heart of the writer. In the second verse, verse 15 of Hebrews 3, you find the result because it starts while it is said. Or you can say while it is written down. So, in verse 7, you have the source. In verse 15, you have the result. And then in chapter 4, you have the tool. Because again, he limiteth a certain day and now, saying in David, the Holy Spirit didn't say as David said. Because David was not the source of the word. So he couldn't say as David say. David was the tool. So you read saying in David. And then he wrote it down. And that is the inspiration of the Bible. It doesn't matter if it is the Old Testament or if it is the New Testament. It is every time the same. The source is God. And then he used, I will say, a human tool. In his living circumstances. And then he put through the Holy Spirit his word in his heart. And then he combined this word with his circumstances. But he wrote exactly the word which the Holy Spirit gave him, letter by letter, dot by dot. And then we have the result. And the result is a written book, the Holy Scripture, the Word of God. And I think that is outstanding that you find this in the Bible. And if we had more time, I could, give, I could give you more examples. We have some passages where, where a verse of the Old Testament is quoted twice or three times. And if you find this, you very often get information about the story of the writing of the Bible. There are one fantastic example which you find in the epistle uh, to the Hebrews. So what is inspiration? It is the act of the Holy Spirit in which he superintended the writers of Scripture. So with that, while writing according to their own styles and personalities, and I will say, and in their daily circumstances, they produced God's word, written, authoritative, and free from error in the original 
writings. That is a miracle. So I can't explain this in a scientific way. I would like to do this because I'm a scientist, but it's impossible. That is the word of God and that is a miracle. We can't, we can't understand this. But it is outstanding that the word of God describes us how it was written. Very short scientific features in 1 Corinthians 2 because that's important. Paulus, oh, Paul, that's a German word, I forgot it to change it. Paul writes to the saints in Corinth, we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. In the Old Testament, the writers sometimes did not understand themselves what they wrote. Because in time of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not living in the believers. They have some special situations where the Holy Spirit came upon them. But he was not living in them. That is a fantastic sign of the time of the grace. So in our time today, that in everybody who, who is converted, that the Holy Spirit lives in him. Because then the Holy Spirit will help him to understand the words. So we can go to this verse. Uh, the easier is Daniel 12. I, I, I just want to read it. Daniel 12. What is verse 8? And I heard... But I understood not. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. He had to write it down, but he didn't understand this word. So it is not a question that every writer had to understand the words which he wrote down. He didn't write it down because he understood it. He wrote it down because the Holy Spirit put it into his hearts. And then he wrote it down guided by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit taught Paul which words he should use. Words. So we have a verbal inspiration. And then he said, he add, but the natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God. Again, at first that means a man or a woman without the Holy Spirit is not able to write down the biblical or inspired books of the Old and of the New Testament. And the second meaning is, if somebody wants to understand the meaning of the words in the Bible, he needs the key who opened it. 
And the key to open it is the Holy Spirit. There is a verse, I want to read this, in John 16. I have to look in my German Bible where I find it. Okay, that is verse 13. John 16, verse 13. There we read a remarkable verse. How about when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. That is the key to understand the Holy Scriptures. The key is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit worked in the writers. But the Holy Spirit also works in our heart to understand the word of God. Somebody without the Holy Spirit, he can understand one thing. He has to come to God and to say him all his sins. Because that is the only way to become a child of God. And then he got the Holy Spirit. And then he can understand the depth of the word of God. So you can see this on this, on this, on this chart. We have God, the source of the word of God. He reveals through the Holy Spirit his word in the apostle, in the writers. The apostle or the writers, they speak or wrote the, the word of God through the Holy Spirit into a book. And if now somebody wants to read the book, he can accept it. Then he is a spiritual man because then he would do the first thing to come to God and to say God his sins. Or he will not accept, he does not accept the word of God and then he is a natural man without God. And you can change men with women, it is the same message. It doesn't matter if it is a man or a woman. For everybody it is the same message. So that is the teaching of 1 Corinthians 2. And so you can understand why a lot of the theological people were unable to understand the canon or the inspiration of the Bible. Because they don't have the Holy Spirit who opened the word of God and to give the understanding. So it is so important to have a living connection to our God. So what exactly is inspired by God? The original autographs? Yes. The copists? No. The translators? No. The chapters? No. The verses? No. Only the original biblical text in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The chapters in the Bible, we got them in the 12th century by the Bishop Langton. 
the numbers of the verses? Oh, we got in the time after Martin Luther, at the end of the 16th century by uh, Stephanos. So, this is not inspired. This is a work done by scientists. It is helpful, but not more. The end. So then, without any further comment, I will begin my story. These are not my words. These are the words in 2 Maccabees. And then we have the ending. So I will end my story here. If it is well written and to the point, I am pleased. If it is poorly written and uninteresting, I have still done my best. I think you understand. That is not the voice of God. I think it is impossible that this book is a book um, of the canon of the Holy Scripture. But again, in, in, in the midst of the 16th century, they put it inside uh, the Bible because they need it for their own teaching. But read this. We know it is unhealthy to drink wine or water alone, whereas wine mixed with water makes it delightfully tasty drink. So also a good story, skillfully written, gives pleasure to those who read it. With this I conclude. So I think, if you read this, how can somebody put the epigraphs into the Holy Scripture? It is impossible. The Bible claims to be the inspired word of God. We have evidences for this, but I don't want to say too much of these because I had some of these examples last time. Just a picture we can take. Oh, this one, this one is good here. Uh, there you see Abraham and Isaac in the Mount uh, Moriah and that Abraham wanted to, to, to sacrifice his son as a, as a, as a uh, burn offering. Here you see the, the, the angel of the Lord who, who stopped it. Yes, but the angel of the Lord is very, very small. Abraham is the great, the biggest person on this picture. Isaac is much smaller. And that shows us that this is the highest person. So that is a picture of God. And this is a picture of the Son of God, the, the man, Jesus Christ, who lived on earth and who is now on the cross of Calvary. So, so that is a typical page of a Bible of the poor. Yes, you have the story of the Old Testament and the story of the Old Testament. And in the middle, you have something from the life of Jesus Christ. And you see, this is a prophetic picture of this. And this is also a prophetic picture of this. That's very interesting. Because this is mentioned in John 3. As Moses, uh, um, um, what is it, um, 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 put, rise up the, the, the uh, snake, the, the, the brazen serpent on a wooden stick during the journey through the desert. But you, you, you don't find any information that that 
is also a picture of the Lord Jesus. But the people in the medieval age, the believers, they understood this. The most people think in the medieval age everything was so dark. Yes, everything was dark. But there were people who believed in God. And also in the medieval age, they had the Holy Spirit. And if they had the Holy Spirit, they understood the truth of the Bible. And so they understood the prophecy of the Bible. And so they were able to produce Bibles like these. Not of their own. Nobody would understand this of his own. But if you have the Holy Spirit, that is 1 Corinthians 2, you understand this and then you can make that, this Bible. The page before, yes, here you see Isaac with the wood who is going to the, to the Mount Moriah and here's Abraham with the sword and the, and the fire that is here, you can't see it so good. As Jesus Christ also carried the wood, the wooden beamers, the cross, Like in the book of Esther, where a wooden beamer was, was um, um, lifted up because they, want to, they wanted to hang um, um, Mordecai, or Mordechai, what do you say, um, um, on this wooden beamer. Yes, but at the end, they put Haman on it. So they understood that this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who went on the cross and so on. I can give you some more examples. Here you have the resurrection Like Jonah, he, he was, uh, um, 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 what is it, to put out of the, of the big fish. And here's Simpson, who um, um, disturbed um, 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 the big house, and so on. So, 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 so you find um, a very important thing because of the prophecy of the Bible. So, so I will... Um, finished my, my lecture at this point. Um, I can give you some more examples, but, but I think you, you can understand that we have some evidences that the Bible is the word of God. Yes, one evidence is the prophecy in the Holy Scripture, the fulfilled prophecy in the Holy Scripture. The other evidence is um, that the Old and the New Testament is one book. And that the person in these two books is the Lord Jesus. And the third evidence is, if you read the Bible, you will understand that it is the word of God. You will get the feeling that God will put you in his light and that you can change your life. And I think the, the, the next point is the wonderful inspiration of the word of God and that you find um, a lot of informations about this in the Bible by itself. And the other thing is the canon of the Bible. Yes, that God took care not only how to write the Bible but to store the Bible and that we have the Bible in our hands today. I, I think the history of the Bible is a fantastic evidence that there is a God who gave us the Bible and who protected his word by himself. Okay, I, I, no, no, I think you can pray at the end. It's much easier for you than for me. I can give you everything of the modern 
settings. All right, we'll just close with a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we give thanks for this time we could be together. We give thanks that uh, we could meditate upon your word and consider how uh, uh, precious it is, how complete it is, and how you took care of it, as we have seen. We thank you most of all how it reveals the Lord Jesus to us and how we can have uh, salvation through uh, faith in him and his finished work on the cross. We pray that as we depart from here, the thoughts would remain with us, that we'd be blessed by them, that we'd be prepared for tomorrow to remember him once again in a collective way in his death. We do so now, uh, commit ourselves into your care, asking for safety as we depart back to our homes. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.